Welcome to It's Bloody Complicated, the Compass podcast. I'm Neil Lawson, your host and director of Compass. These are unprecedented times and we need to rise to the new and enormous challenges we now face. Over the next few weeks, we'll be speaking with writers, thinkers, politicians, journalists and public service workers about how we come out of this mess in much better shape than we went in, a good society after COVID-19. These conversations have live access for Compass members who can put their own questions directly to our guests. If you'd like to participate in the live call and help support all of our work, go to compassonline.org.uk forward slash podcast to join Compass today. Otherwise, sit back, relax and enjoy this week's podcast. Welcome to this special edition of the Compass Podcast, It's Bloody Complicated. Today we're joined by Byron Fay. Byron is the Executive Director of Climate 200 in Australia, an organisation that helped support the Teal Independence in the general elections last May. They made a big breakthrough and there is a lot we can learn from them in terms of how they hacked their political system and brought difference, creativity, innovation in, into their political system. Um, welcome, Byron. Tell us, um, tell us where exactly you are, and and as always with Compass, how are you? So I'm calling in from Sydney, uh, Gadigal land in Australia. We like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're working. So it's the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation, and uh, I'm I'm going well. It's an exciting time here in Australia. We've we've seen a democratic revival of sorts, and it's um, permeating beyond the federal level, where we had a had a really exciting election result, as you outlined in your intro. Now it's going to the state level. We've got a state election happening in Victoria, our second biggest state in November, a state election in New South Wales in March. And so the momentum from the federal is really carrying through there. So that's very exciting to see. The community's fired up. Uh, people are getting involved in politics for the very first time. People have hope in seats that have long been held by one party and are, um, and are getting involved in their democratic processes, which is, which is always encouraging, good for democracy. That's, that's great to hear. And and people in the UK listening to this podcast, some of them will have picked up a little bit about what happened uh, last May in terms of the teals. Um, you were behind the scenes there before it happened, helping to make it happen, help it to guide it through, and now working out what to do with it. Um, tell us the story, Byron. Tell us, you know, uh, why did you do what you do? Uh, and and how did you do it? Because there's so much we can learn. It's so rich. Over to you. Yeah, well, so what we saw here in Australia fundamentally was a democratic revival. And it, at its core was the what we call the community independence movement. Uh, so there's independence have been a factor of um, Australian democracy for, for quite some time. These are people who are not aligned with any political party, but managed to succeed in being elected to parliament and then represent their community's interests directly. Uh, in the past, um, it's been relatively small scale. Sometimes the individual would have been involved with a with a political party and they've um, then decided to, to step out and, and become independent. But um, there are a few examples of, of in, in times past where candidates have run from the start as an independent. And most recently, uh, a couple of years ago, a woman, her name was Kathy McGowan, she stood up uh, for election as an independent in a very safe uh, Liberal Party seat. That's our Tory party equivalent over here, the Conservative Party. And uh, she built a community campaign around her um, using lots of kind of organising techniques um, taken from the US, really, the Obama-style kitchen table conversation approach where you 
get community members around a kitchen table and you ask them what matters to them, what they're looking for in their political representation, um, how they're feeling about their political representatives. And through that kind of real grassroots um, direct voter contact method, which was able to build up a, a strong community campaign that ended up flipping that seat from conservative to independent. She had a successful um, two terms in parliament um, and then went on to kind of spread the word about what had happened there and the kind of approach. And that has permeated, sort of permeated around the country to a certain extent in 2019. Um, Zali Stegall uh, was elected. She was a, a professional skier uh, turned barrister um, in, a in a very safe seat um, in Sydney. Uh, it was Tony Abbott was the sitting MP there, the former Australian Prime Minister. She used the same kind of approach to be elected as an independent. And that really um, was a moment where, where there was a realisation more broadly in the community that this could really scale. It wasn't just something that could happen that happened once off wasn't just something um, that happened in a rural regional seat where Cathy McGowan was first time around. It could be done in the city. And that's uh, what Climate 200, my organisation, set up set out to really help turbocharge. The main challenge when it comes to an independent is you don't have the infrastructure the major parties do. You don't have the money. You don't have the technology. You don't have the know-how, the organising kind of structures in place. Um, there's a lot of things you need to know. And so we sought out to level the playing field as much as possible by providing some of those services to values aligned independence. Um, and what do we mean by values aligned? Well, Climate 200 has three core values, a science-based response to the climate crisis, restoring integrity to politics, so a sort of anti-corruption pillar, and then finally a gender equity or advancing the safety and, and treatment in respect of women pillar. So if a candidate we found as an independent who was, who was for those three principles, uh, we got in behind them. The main thing that we provided them with support with was fundraising. So Climate 200 is, is fundamentally a community crowdsourcing initiative. We crowdfunded uh, $13 million in the lead up to the federal election, which we then on granted to uh, different candidates that we were supporting. Uh, we also provided them with support when it came to strategic communications, advertising, um, support with analytics, polling, focus group work. For us, it was always important to be very data-driven in what we did. It was useful for the candidates themselves because they knew where they stood, but also useful for us because it would allow us to make sure we focused our donated um, funds on the candidates who had the best prospects of success. And then finally, we had a sort of capacity-building function, almost like a, um, like a, a, a help desk where communities could come and, and ask us questions about how to run a, a professional um, political campaign. And so we, we provided those that support to 23 different campaigns in the lead up to the Australian federal election in, in May of this year. And of those 23, 11 were successful. So four of them were incumbents, six new teal, they call them teals, because often the colour was picked by these candidates, um, not always, but often was, was teal. And teal, it's a combination of blue, which is a conservative colour, and green, which is the greens here in Australia. And Often they're thought of as, as a kind of a mix of those two philosophies. Six new lower house members were, were successful. And then one in the Senate, David Pocock, former captain of the Australian rugby team, for any rugby fans out there who listen to your podcast, um, he may be well known, a um, brilliant flanker. Um, so, so he was successful in the Senate there in the ACT, the Australian Capital Territory. Uh, and he now holds the balance of power in the Senate. So any legislation that comes through the Senate that the opposition party does not support. The government needs his support um, and some other crossbenchers to get it through. So he's in a really influential position and has already been um, flexing that muscle to improve 
some of the legislation that's come through since the new government got elected, Labor Party won, got elected as a just a two-seat majority in the lower house, so it's still quite tight, needs um, David Pocock's support in the Senate to get legislation through. Knew that climate was big on the agenda at the election, um, as represented by the, the election of many of these climate-focused independents, and so the government put up a, a climate bill as one of its first, um, first acts uh, that massively increased Australia's 2030 emissions reduction target, um, so that's very encouraging. They're now debating an anti-corruption commission, federal anti-corruption commission bill. Um, so it's it's already seeing the impact of, of the focus of these um, new MPs and new senator on the Australian political system and the policy that's being put through and, and leading to what we think is a much, um, much more a high integrity climate focused parliament and um, and a better one, you know, a better level of engagement. They've got a different style of engaging, not so much the old party politics way of of hurling abuse at each other, more respectful, and we think that's also helping um, trust in government as well. So from top to bottom, we're, we're, we're excited about what they provided and, and think it was a really good um, intervention that we and the, and the Climate 200 community made at the last federal election here in Australia. Fascinating for, for our listeners to hear that. Um, they'll be trying to locate you, as people do, um, and, and I think it's important to understand that, you, I mean, you stood against, I mean, our, the equivalent uh, over here, as you said, of, of conservatives. So you are kind of, uh, I mean, in on the political spectrum, would you say you're a kind of, you know, would you locate yourself and say that you were kind of centre right just about? But you, it was, it was, you know, our equivalent, your liberals, our conservatives that you took on and defeated, wasn't that? Well, yeah, important clarification, Neil. We didn't take anyone on. It was the communities themselves putting up representatives that more accurately represented their interests on these issues. It wasn't a surprise to us that the community was um, frustrated with the the Liberal National Party that was the, the these were the members who were in who were in, in government. They'd been in government for nearly a decade. They had really failed to address um, action on climate change and, and integrity and, and gender equity in, in pretty significant ways. And so it was those communities that that rose up. We don't um, put ourselves on the kind of political spectrum. Um, we're merely here to level the playing field for candidates who stand up and want to improve policy on the three things we care about climate integrity gender equity if they do that and if it's strategic if we think they can win if their offerings are superior to the people they're going up against then we will be there to support them and it's just it's happened that it was the this time around it was the the conservative party that was the one that was failing on these issues and that's what the community mobilized now we have a labor labor government if the labor government you know isn't um meeting the community's expectations on these issues it wouldn't surprise us if we saw communities mobilising in those areas. So we're um, pragmatic about this. Like we're we're here to support candidates, independents who want to see progress on the things that our community cares about, and we're kind of um, blind as to the parties that are um, in the way of that. Um, provided that they meet our criteria and, and the incumbents they're taking on are standing in the way of of more progress on these issues. And the kind of the the, the thought process we often go through is. Would we be having more progress if a independent who cared about these issues that we do was in there instead? And if the answer is yes, then for us, it's a pretty simple um, conclusion that we should support them. Obviously, they, they need to have strong community support. There was a good um, illustration here at the federal election why money alone is certainly not sufficient. Clive Palmer, he was a mining billionaire um, who has been involved in politics in, in various guises over many years here in Australia. He spent, we think, about $100 million 
Rhino swing um, votes to a new party he kind of established that's had a few incarnations. Um, he was very unsuccessful in that. He, he managed to land one Senate seat for his 100 million bucks, whereas for the 13 odd million that we put in, um, and it wasn't just our money that went to supporting these independents, they did their own local fundraising. So the, the total pool we think was about 20 million that was spent supporting these candidates. Um, we, you know, that community allowed 11, 11 um, members of parliament to be elected. What was the difference? Well, the community um, enthusiasm, we think, was the secret there. There's about 20,000 volunteers around the country who got involved in community independence campaigns at the last election. It's people out there knocking on doors, calling, doing phone banking, handing out flyers at train stations or shopping centres. And it's that real community enthusiasm, we think, that is the difference. Um, but money is obviously important as well. You need to get your message out there. You need to do professional advertising. You need to have a good website. Do some good, um, good digital ads, but um, without the community, really, you can't get there. And just tell us a bit about the the basis for that community uh, intervention, because there was some existing organisational infrastructure that that you kind of worked worked with and supported, wasn't there in, in Australia? Yeah, for um, Climate Two Hundred had had been around for a while, so it had a, a test run of sorts in twenty nineteen. Simon Holmes Court, uh, the founder of Climate Two Hundred. Um, had you know for a long time been frustrated by a lack of progress on climate policy in Australia. He um, was a climate philanthropist himself, and so he'd, he'd put some money behind some sort of climate advocacy organisations. But he kind of came to the realisation that it really was sort of like tinkering around the edges. Um, we like to say hacking at the branches, not striking at the root um, cause of the issue. And he realised the root cause of the issue was not the quality of the advocacy not the quality of the people who are working on this stuff, not the quality of the ideas. Like we know that you know that the solutions to all these, these issues are there and they're presented quite well. It was that the people that those, those ideas and solutions were presented to were not the right people. And so he concluded, right, instead of just focusing so much on the advocacy, let's try and see if we can refocus some of this money on changing the people. Um, Climate China was born out of that. He had a test run in 2019 where he raised about half a million dollars, donated to a, a bunch of different independents, some of whom were successful, so had proof of concept, but it came quite late. He started the project about nine weeks out from the 2019 federal election. So early money is like yeast, um, is, is, is a pretty well-known saying for anyone who's, who's worked in politics, the idea that um, if you provide early donations to a political candidate or a movement, that they can use that to leverage in other money and it helps them grow additional donations and ultimately scale their, their campaign. That was a real big realisation. And so uh, we undertook to make sure that we spent much more time on the project this time around in 2022. And so we had about a year's run up, a year and a half's run up, um, and we're able to build some infrastructure um, to support some of the candidates as well, um, some technology tools that we um, developed helping them to do things like door knocking and phone banking um, that made their life easier, made sure they could get their, their rostering on polling day sorted. For anyone that's that's kind of been out there on the polling booths, it's hard to get all the polling booths actually um, rostered, rostered correctly. Simple things like that helped um, really lower the barriers to entry for these community campaigns. And one of the thing we, things we love about the community independence movement is that very few people have ever been involved in politics before. That's why we call it a sort of democratic revival. The flip side of that is that they don't really know much about how to run a campaign. And so it's really important that there are groups out there like ours to kind of help the community go on the journey of figuring out how to run a, a campaign that can um, go toe to toe with these 
slick professional party machines that have been around forever have often carved out some incumbency advantages for themselves like public funding and other sort of um, hacks that they've developed to kind of give themselves an edge and so they need some support if they're going to be competitive and that's what we provided just a quick word about those community organizing groups they'd been there you know existing working on issues but had not become party political and 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 the magic was putting those two things together your political strategy um uh, and abilities and skills and their community knowledge local roots activist etc it was putting those two things together yeah so so in many cases um the groups that started uh, were called the voices of insert name of electorate so for example the um, where this all started Kathy McGowan I talked to, about her before her electorate of Indi so it was voices of Indi um so that was the model that lots lots of these community groups used to start doing that community engagement so they would start doing those kitchen table conversations with I live in in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. That the, the seat here I'm in is uh, Wentworth. So it was the voices of Wentworth. So they went around asking different people what they thought of, of their existing representation. They would put on events, put on an event about climate change, put on an event about integrity, put on an event about the economy or healthcare. People would come along, engage. That that allowed them to build up a bit of a community awareness and engagement. And then from there they would. You know, decide to potentially decide to put up uh, a candidate. Often it was a different kind of group that would establish itself to do that. Often that was just called um, independent cert electorate, so independent Wentworth, for example. Um, and that was the more political outfit. Uh, the Voices of group was more the community engagement outfit. Uh, and it's that independent community group that we normally had our interaction with. And that's where the rubber really hit the road on getting the campaign sorted. And we um we made sure that along the way we were um um making sure the community was going along with us on the journey and um, that also extended to things like fundraising we didn't just hand over funding uh we, we expected um them to do their own fundraising raising locally and we set ourselves a kind of a cap of 50 percent of the funding we thought they would need to run the campaign is what we could provide and the rest they had to find locally and so that made sure they were still engaging with their community and and bringing in donors from there and volunteers from local the local community as well and that was really the secret we think to the success of these campaigns now one big difference between the australian political system and the british one is that you have preferential voting i mean that did give you a lot of space do you want to just explain to listeners just quickly what preferential voting is and why that made such a difference to your ability to intervene yeah sure so this is also called ranked choice voting in the us that's the kind of terminology they generally use it means that you you basically get to rank uh, the people you vote for on election day. And if the person you voted for first or the party you voted for first doesn't um, make it into the final two, your vote can then flow to the person you voted for second and third, depending on, on, on how far down the chain it goes. And so it allows for um, votes from minor parties that only get small numbers of, of votes in total to flow up to those candidates who got a larger um, portion of their first preference votes and so here in Australia um, with the these independents that got elected most of them relied on the, the the preference flowing the vote flowing from parties that got less votes um, on election day obviously in the UK that's not the case um, so there's, there's a bit of a challenge there to replicate in the model in the US there are some states that do have um, ranked choice voting and so there is some scope for similar sorts of things to be done there we think there's quite a lot of potential for that but um 
Some of the candidates did win um, in a first past the post equivalent type of contest. Um, they were ones that had, had been established um, and had already had a term at least in parliament. And so the kind of familiarity name recognition really paid a, played a big role there. But I would say not, you know, not impossible on that basis for independence to win in a, in a first past the post system, but it's just a definite challenge. The other advantage we have is, is compulsory voting here in Australia, you must um, show up to the ballot box. You don't have to vote. You just have to get your ballot paper. So um, so there's a little bit of an out there if you're ideologically opposed to, to having to vote, you don't have to. But um, most people obviously do. Um, that helps as well. Like it was really the kind of the success of the sensible centre in, in Australia. It was people who were sort of sick of the extremes that um, particularly the Conservative Party here on a national level was taking the country to and uh, wanted something that was back in the centre. For whatever reason, weren't comfortable with the Labor Party or the Greens, but these independents, community independents who are climate integrity focused economies are also big for, for many of them. Many of them had business backgrounds. Um, that was a winning combination for, for a majority of voters in, in a bunch of these seats. And it's the reason that we have a, a parliament which looks very different, has a very different flavour, a very different vibe to it, and is having some different priorities. What next for the Teals then, Byron? So yeah, in the intro, I talked a bit about the state level. So obviously um, we're, we're supporting candidates there. Very regulatory, very different regulatory environments. Each jurisdiction in Australia has its own donation regulations. And so it's a lot more tricky for us working in Victoria. We're limited in what we can donate. It's about $4,300 to each candidate. And so there it's more about educating our donor community as to the different candidates in Victoria we think uh, have good potential and our values aligned. We've been doing that to some success. And so there's a couple of really competitive races down there, but it is definitely hard. New South Wales is the same. We're really excited about the next federal. Um, some of the analysis we've been doing is kind of indicating where there's potential for doing this again next time. Um, there are six candidates who came very close, ended up in the final two um, at the federal election, in, in, but just fell short. We think those communities are obviously very pumped up and next time around, we think those if those candidates decide to run again or another candidate in those electorates decides to stand up, that they'll be extremely competitive. But we're also seeing, based off demographic analysis, other seats around the country um, that we think have good potential. And we're seeing the communities there starting to get active, seeing what's happened, sort of either it's, uh, it's next door, it's over the fence, or it's in a similar community in another city and people are pumped up, they're, they're, they're getting organised. And, and so we're aiming to be there. Obviously, our ability to support those communities is contingent on the support we get from our donors. And so taking the donor community on that journey right now and educating them as to the long-term organising work we think is needed if we're going to see some more progress, particularly in rural regional areas. It's the type of place where you need to do deep community organising for quite some time if you want to have some success. And so community members there are standing up we just want to be there to, to, to help help them go on um, go on this journey to to hopefully deliver some more seats into the hands of these these community independents. And ultimately, we think if we can double the number of community independents in Parliament, that means we're going to have a climate proofed, integrity, anti corruption proofed Parliament um, for a very long time. So that's the goal we've we've set ourselves is supporting at least another ten or eleven communities to realise this type of democratic revival, community engagement um, model of of democracy and and really change the face of Australian politics for uh, the foreseeable future. 
fascinating and fantastic. Um, leave us with um, uh, this is a harder question, Byron. I mean, what do you think the kind of you know you know, you know a, a, a quite a bit about British politics? I mean, you know, what, what key lessons, learnings would you know you leave us with in terms of you know our attempts to hack the system, open it up, bring in creativity, bring in innovation? You know, within parties, across parties, etc. What could, you know? What are the key things we can learn from you? I think one of the secrets to the success of the movement was with broad coalitions, but also um, framing those coalitions in a way that was um, palatable to a broad cross-section of community. Um, obviously, that there, there can be baggage associated with different parties that makes it harder for them to, to, to be supported. Overcoming that can be, can be challenging, but um, thinking sort of laterally about the way you present a policy platform that has centrist appeal, I think, is is the main thing. Um, the extremes, you know, I think tend to be um, less likely to be able to pull together that sort of coalition of um, of voters ne needed to to succeed. Um, and I think some of the the kind of um, response you're seeing in the UK right now to the the Tory party's new direction under the new leadership sort of demonstrates that. I think giving giving people some a safe pair of hands in the centre. Um, is appealing um, as long as you can frame it in the right way and, and kind of get your message out there then then you're likely to have some success fantastic um lots of similarities some differences huge amount to to learn from but mostly a, a huge amount to be inspired by in terms of of what you've done and what you're going to continue to, to do um so thanks byron for for being with us today on this special edition of the of, of the podcast it's been great to hear from you um I'm afraid now you're you, you and um, and Simon are part of the Compass family, and you're never going to escape us. Um, but it's great to have you here, and, and people will be fascinated listening in. Um, thank you to Byron for for being here today. Um, thanks for our members who support us and enable us to to run these podcasts. Um, if you're listening in and you're not yet a Compass member, please join us, and then you can join our regular live podcast events with leading progressive political campaigners and thinkers. Um, we need you in these in these complex times, and you need us. Um, so please join Compass if you can. And thanks again, Byron. That's been wonderful. Thanks for having me, Neil. Awesome times. Thanks a lot. So, if you like what you've heard today and want to be part of a much more equal, democratic, and sustainable future, a good society, then visit us at compassonline.org.uk/podcast and you'll be able to join us live on future calls just like this one. You can tweet me at neal, N-E-A-L underscore compass, or compass at compass office. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, please give us a rating. It will help us reach more listeners in the future. And it's only fair that they know it's bloody complicated too.